Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to GTO Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion for ourselves. I'm Kirsten Johansson, your host. And oof, boy, have I had lots of opportunities to practice. Um, I am a walker of my talk. That is um, how I function in the world. And it's something that's incredibly important, not just to me personally, but in terms of all of the things that I do professionally to try to support other people in their challenges. So I'm going to talk to you about a couple of the challenges that I am practicing on right now, um, because I do, I do um, really believe that when we are faced with something that is difficult and painful and unpleasant and um, something that we want to turn away from and say, no, please, no, that really it is arriving in our lives for a reason. And it's a wonderful opportunity to practice because when things are going well, things are going well, and we don't always need to dig deep for our skills. And sometimes our practices become a little lighter because we're sailing along and those times are wonderful. I think, you know, we need those times where the the trap, I would call it the trap for me, and I think uh, for many of us, is thinking that that's what it's supposed to be. That's what it's supposed to be, this easy, non-painful, non-challenging sailing along. And we go through the world sort of longing for this ease. And when we don't have it, we think that something is wrong and we rail against it. Um, I certainly used to do that. And it kept me, it really kept me in a place of unhappiness. And um, I heard an expression on, you know, I watch some silly shows. I watch some silly shows. That's part of my, <laughs> part of my anesthesia behavior that unless it goes overboard, um, doesn't, doesn't typically harm me because I know what I'm doing and I know why I'm doing it. But one of the, one of the people, I won't say characters because it is a reality show. One of the people on that show just made a quick comment. Uh, she said, keep your head where your feet are. And I've been using that quite a bit because when I keep my head where my feet are, everything is okay. And in fact, not only is everything okay, but there are many, many wonderful things going on uh, that are happening alongside the things that are challenging. So I just want to put a positive pitch out there for whatever your challenge currently is, um, whatever it is, or whoever it is, um, that you think about it as an opportunity to learn something, to practice, to be taught something, and potentially to move from this place where you're standing, uh, your head and your feet are standing to another place. And in that vein, I wanted to introduce something that I've been using for the last couple of years in order to it's kind of a, it's an analogy and a visualization, and it's helped me quite a bit to settle in 
to a challenge, particularly one that is longer term. And I just call it a tunnel. And when I think about my tunnels, I do think about a particular place in the world. I've been fortunate enough to travel to some beautiful, magical places in this world. I'm sitting in one of them right now. I'm sitting in magical Malta, um, which is just, uh, I was emailing back and forth with a somebody who may be a client or maybe will just um, connect over email and um, I can offer some support that way. But in any case, he said, wow, you're in paradise. And I said, yes, this is a crumbly old paradise that I'm in um, with all of these just old buildings and history and this desire to hang on to the history and you know, the beauty of the sea and the beauty of the sky here is really something special. And so I am in one of those magical places. One of the other places that I've been, I, I, I do want to mention a couple of them that I'm not going to talk about today. The temples in uh, Siem Reap, which is in Cambodia, Angkor Wat being the most uh, famous of those temples. But the temples in Cambodia um, are, are truly magnificent. And the Buddha caves in Sri Lanka were uh, life-changing for me, I would say, in their specialness. So those are a couple of places that I've been that are just unbelievable. But the place that I'm thinking of uh, for the tunnels is Rio de Janeiro. Um, I haven't been there in a long time. It was one of the one of the first really big trips that I took with a partner that I had that was a really excellent travel companion. So we went to uh, quite a few places um, together that were really wonderful. We, for the most part, had a wonderful time every place we went. There are a couple um, in there that maybe I would I would say, mm, not so much on my list, but for the most part, just wonderful experiences. And one of those was in Rio. And if you've seen photos of Rio or if you've been to Rio, you will know that it's it's on the, the on the ocean and it's also in the mountains. It's a really, really special place. And in order to get around anywhere in Rio, you have to navigate some pretty big tunnels and they have borne board, pardon me, right through the mountains so that you can get from point A to point B. And they're long and they're dark. And if you are someone like me who thinks about uh, the things that are happening while they're happening. When I'm in a tunnel, sometimes I'm quite aware of the uh, sheer amount of pressure all the way around me. I'm in this kind of tiny tube and all around me is this massive mountain of rock and earth and trees and all the things, right, that, that are present on this earth. Um, and, you know, us little humans, we want to get from this place to that place. And if we don't take the tunnel, either we can't get there because there's literally no other way to get there, or we have to take a tremendously long way around and maybe we'll get there, but maybe we won't. Maybe on this long circuitous way around, we'll lose our way. And so uh, in the last several years, as I have been navigating one challenge after another with a completely different view of what I'm doing and a completely different relationship with myself, 
it sometimes is just really important for me to acknowledge to myself, okay, you're in a tunnel. And here's the thing about a tunnel for me. I don't want to make a U-turn. Well, okay. Sometimes, okay. Sometimes, yes, I do want to make a U-turn, um, but I don't, I don't. Um, I've done it in the past and here's, here's what happens. And I'm going to explain that to you. I'll give you an example of doing it in the past um, and what that yielded me. But the thing is, is if you need to get through that tunnel to get from point A to point B and you make a U-turn, first of all, it can be dangerous um, because you're in a tunnel, but let's say, let's say you can pull it off and you can get into the uh, flow of traffic going the other way and you zip back out and, and you come into daylight and the sun hits you and you, you feel a moment of relief. Oh man. Ooh. I'm glad I'm out of that tunnel. Well, there it still is. There it still is. And if you don't want to get to point B anymore, if you think, well, maybe point B wasn't for me. Cool. Great. In my case, I often do want to get to point B. And so making a U-turn doesn't necessarily get you anywhere other than having to go through this tunnel in its entirety at another point in life, even though you were maybe halfway through. So that's the thing for me about a tunnel is that, yes, it is dark and it can seem long and it can seem like it's never going to end, but it's a tunnel. And so it will end and there will be light at the other end. So I am going to talk to you in the uh, latter half of the show about my journey with insomnia. Um, and I am in the tunnel again, again, I am in the tunnel with the insomnia. And I don't want to revisit this tunnel. I would prefer not to actually. And so my goal um, is to stay in that tunnel and to navigate it with all of the tools that I'm currently using and to get to the other end. And what lies at the other end, I'm not sure, but I'm quite hopeful that it will not be the brand of insomnia that I've been living with since I was a teenager. <clears throat> and I know that many of us, particularly with the rise in anxiousness, um, I'll say anxiety, um, sometimes anxiety is a diagnosis. And so, you know, maybe it's a diagnosis for you, but maybe it's just something that you feel and that you deal with and that's uncomfortable and that disrupts your sleep along with a lot of other things. That's certainly been the case for me. Um, so with that uh, and the collective trauma that we've all been through, uh, that we continue to go through, really, the pandemic is still with us. Um, some of us more than others, there are people who are absolutely unable to go out into public life um, due to health conditions um, that were either present prior to the pandemic or that have uh, been visited upon them as a result of the pandemic and COVID and with masks gone and um, their ability to you know, go out into regular life really hindered, they are still very much uh, suffering some of the same traumas and restrictions that many of us experienced um, as we, if we're fortunate, are back in, in the world. 
I mean, sort of look back on and say, Ooh, boy, I'm glad that's over. I just want to acknowledge that it's not over for everyone. So I think uh, a lot of people are probably having some sleep issues. So, okay. So we're going to do that after the break. Um, Prior to the break, I wanted to catch you up on another one of my tunnels that I kind of feel like I've actually come out the other side of, which I wasn't really thinking until I was pondering doing this particular show and this particular topic um, today. So a couple weeks ago, uh, so last week, I do want to just give a shout out um, to my mom who was my guest last week. And if you're wanting to, you know, hear from someone who has managed her life in a, a positive, optimistic way, who weaves gratitude into just about everything, but most particularly into some tremendous uh, losses and adversity that she has experienced. My mom at 80 years old is um, a wonderful example. So you don't have to be 80. You don't even have to think you're going to be 80. I think there's a little something in that show for everybody. And it was a joy to do. It was a way to celebrate this wonderful milestone and her birthday. And, and it was a joy. So that was last week. The week prior, I did share with you a couple of things when I was talking with you about resentments and boundaries. And I mentioned that I was going through some struggles uh, in my partnership with my, my intimate partner and that I had been spinning in some resentments and that I needed to set a boundary that was pretty, it was concrete and somewhat difficult, um, but that I knew was the correct choice for me. So I set that boundary and it was not that that boundary particularly was breached, but something did shift a bit as a result of only setting it. And I think that that's the magic of a boundary. Once you set it and you hold it and you just open yourself up to taking in whatever new information or even not new information is available to you it can be quite eye-opening. So I had set that boundary, um, which was financial in nature, so quite concrete. It was something that really couldn't be breached unless I allowed it. And then, you know, things continued in a similar vein as they have been. And so I'm just going to quickly summarize that. And that is to say, you know, the person that I met um, and fell in love with and moved here um to be with, but also I moved here because I wanted to move to Malta. So um, I do need to separate that. I, I moved here because I wanted to move to Malta and I did meet someone um, wonderful who I, I wanted to uh, have a partnership with. And it made the most sense for us to live together uh, for a variety of reasons. And I felt fine about that. Um, so that's what I did. And in June, when I moved here, um, you know, things went, went well and I had COVID. And so, you know, we were confronted with the challenge right away, but I was able to kind of see, oh, you know, this is kind of what happens when um, I'm sick. And um, it was ultimately the person that I met and fell in love with. And then things started to go badly for him in his work life. Um, which is tied to his financial life. And I think it's tied to a variety of other things for him that I will not profess to know or understand. But as things began to change for him, 
August. So it wasn't very long after I moved here. He became quite unhappy. And I watched this and I experienced it and it splashed onto me um, in a variety of ways. And so even though I'm somebody who understands self-love and self-acceptance and compassion for self, and I have some experience with detachment and boundaries and working through resentments and all the things that we talk about, it doesn't mean that I am not impacted um, in a way that is harmful to me over time. When somebody else's unhappiness and negativity about their life and the world, and even me, uh, to be honest, splashes onto me very routinely. And so the the person that I that I knew originally, or that I uh, saw, and and yeah, you know, this is interesting, right? Because when someone's new to us, it can take quite some time for us to really know and understand who they are in a variety of circumstances. So adversity um, is quite is quite telling. So anyway, um, in August, he really became quite unhappy and has pretty much stayed that way. I see glimmers. I see glimmers. Not so much lately. Um, it's been pretty, pretty rough lately. But over the course of that time from last August until now, and some of that time I wasn't here, some of that time, you know, about 15 weeks of that time I was with my mom. And so the relationship was long distance and was, you know, video, video chats every day. And to some degree that alleviated um, the things that I experience when I'm here because it's focused and, you know, we, we focus on each other for that period of time that we're together and we look at each other and listen to each other and I think pretty much anybody maybe can maintain a certain level of, of communication and affect, you know, when you're just on a video call every day, but once you're here and real life uh, is real life, you kind of get a, you get a better understanding. So it was pretty tough last time um, with the unhappiness and uh, sort of the dark cloud that descended over this person who was fun and, and light and happy. And used to say, I, I love my job. And I, I get up in the morning and I look at myself in the mirror and I tell myself, I love myself. And I go into my day and I take pride in my work. You know, this, this was the person. Well, um, I don't see that person very often anymore. Um, it's mainly quite negative. Um, there's tons of, of complaining and um, there tends to be, I, I tend to experience very little optimism. Um, and also I tend to experience a sort of a blaming of other people or life in general. And this idea that life is hard for him um, in a way that it's not hard for others and that other people have an easier time and other people have more and, you know, other people have more opportunities, that kind of thing. And I know, of course, from experience that focusing on, you know, blaming outside factors for the life that one is living, it removes your power and it makes you, I'll uh, speak about myself, it removes my power and it makes me feel like a victim. 
And I, I don't want that. I don't want that for myself, but I also, I don't want that for someone I love. And certainly I have offered, (laughs) as you might imagine, uh, given what I do, um, in life and, and professionally that (laughs) I've offered all kinds of varying perspectives and paradigm shifts and strategies and tools. And, you know, I, I have no idea what gets in and what doesn't get in. All I know is what I am experiencing. And so that is the compassionate truth, right? That I have needed to tell myself, not what I wish it would be, or what I hope it will be, or, you know, this, this idea of, you know, I know that people go through things and that when people are going through something difficult, of course, they're not going to be dancing and singing around the flat, which is what he was doing before. But that doesn't mean that that's the right place for me to stay or that that's the right situation for me to stay in. Um, Just because yes, there's some adversity and some hardship. Um, But again, I can only choose for myself. I can't choose for anyone else. And so uh, there was a basically a, a final straw for me. And I had gone to visit him at his at his job. They were having a an opening party for the restaurant that he manages. And you know, I, I understand that he's unhappy um, at this particular job. And I knew that he wasn't going to necessarily have a lot of time for me. I, I knew that I was visiting him in the middle of his work day. Um, but he did text and say, okay, come now. Ashkim, come now. I am free. And I think, okay. And really, I just wanted to go to to be supportive because I'm still me. I still have love to give and compassion to give when I am filling myself up in those ways. And so I wanted to just offer some support and a friendly face and a hug and see what he's been working on and meet some of the people that he works with, et cetera. And um, the way that he behaved while I was there and the way that he treated me while I was there was, it was um, beyond the pale. It, it was a bridge too far. And I don't think it had anything to do with me particularly. So that's the other thing I want to reiterate here. We talk about it a lot, but the way that somebody else behaves and the way that somebody else treats you often doesn't have anything to do with you. It has to do with them. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt you. It doesn't mean that it's not offensive. It doesn't mean that it's not damaging or harmful, which all those things occurred um, in this span of, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes or something. So anyway, in that span of 45 minutes, I, boy, I thought, okay, I think, I think this is it. And I walked away from it and um, I knew just waiting for the bolt to arrive that this was it. And so, you know, I got home and I cried and grieved. And I know to do that in a way that allows it to come full force. Um, And I have the opportunity to do that. I was here by myself. There was no reason for me not to allow it. And so I let it really uh, wash through me and over me. And I cried and cried and cried and cried and had a conversation with myself that had nothing to do with regret, nothing to do with, well, how did I get here? Or why am I having to make this? It had nothing to do with any of that. 
It just had to do with grief and sadness and truth, telling myself the truth, the compassionate truth about my situation and the compassionate truth that it was no longer for me. And the thing that I'm super proud of is that I decided that I was going to end my relationship the day that I knew it was over. I wasn't ready the day before. I simply wasn't. And the day after, um, you know, would have just been kicking the can down the road a little bit. I decided right then. And so after I had cried it out and had lots of conversation with myself and had formulated a clear message about the end of the partnership, I wrote it down and it was brief. We have a language barrier, so it was brief and I translated it um, to ensure that it was clear and I printed it because I knew that I was going to need to sit down and lead with the message that was translated because of the experiences that I've had trying to communicate um, sensitive and difficult things when we don't speak the same primary language. And so that's what I did. And, you know, um, it went, it went how it went. It went how breakups often go. And I have no, no regrets and no questions about it being the right choice. And so I'm here. Um, I'm here. We're still living together. And, you know, I, my hope and the way that I'm conducting myself is that we can be supportive and loving with each other while we are working through what is a difficult and painful time for both of us, where we both have logistics that are real and true and very different and that need to be figured out. And that's going okay. And, um, you know, yesterday he was working, uh, which is pretty, pretty common. He works early tonight, early to late and um, doesn't have a day off all that often. I went to Valletta and did all the things that I love. I went to an early showing of John Wick. I love John Wick. So this was uh, chapter four. And I'm not going to say anything about it other than thank you, John Wick. Thank you, John Wick. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, and then I went and got a, a brief reflexology massage on my feet. Um, often the stuff that's going on in my body and my spirit, it shows up in my feet. And um, so I went and got a reflexology massage. And then I had a, a wonderful lunch of sea bass out alfresco. Everything is alfresco here for the most part, um, because we're in the Mediterranean. So I had this wonderful alfresco lunch of, of local sea bass while I watched people. And then I sat on a bench and chatted uh, with an older Maltese guy about uh, all things Malta. And I had a couple of wonderful conversations with the same driver who uh, took me to Valletta and picked me up and brought me here back to Nashar. And, you know, when somebody asks me how I'm doing or what's going on, I tend to tell them. And I will say that when you do that, it can be amazing what happens. And so, you know, 
I was able to tell somebody the truth about what was happening to me. And, you know, it was a very empathic and supportive interaction. Um, so even though, you know, you maybe don't have a partner maybe, or a person who you can talk to about things, it doesn't mean that there's nobody to talk to. It doesn't mean that there isn't somebody that you encounter in your day that asks you how you are and you tell them the truth and that they, they can't relate to you or just say something supportive, which um, Ansar, who drove me, uh, was able to do yesterday. So um, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we get back, I'm going to talk about the other tunnel. And so I do want to say I've been in a tunnel uh, with this with this partnership. And um, I've emerged from it. I'm, I'm back out in the light. And I didn't even realize it until I was in the light. And I'm in, I'm in the insomnia tunnel uh, still, and that's okay. And I'm going to talk to you about that when we get back. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we'll be right back. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host. And before the break, we were talking about challenges and tunnels and relationships and, you know, U-turns are possible, but when you make them, you sometimes have to just face the same old tunnel. Okay. So on to my insomnia. <clears throat> so I've had insomnia since I was a teenager. I went to treatment when I was 16. I was addicted to drugs and alcohol and um, I, my recollection prior to that is that I maybe did have some sleep issues before that. And, you know, sleepovers were never, I, I did them, but they were always a little bit crunchy for me because sleeping in a strange place, um, could be difficult. And so I think I probably had maybe some issues even prior. And then I started drinking and using at a pretty early age, 13 ish, you know, before then, but around 13, I really, um, dove, I dove in. Um, and so I was for the most part sleeping because of alcohol and weed and sometimes, you know, just eating a ton of sugar and food that would, uh, serve as anesthesia. And so when I went to treatment, I could not sleep and, um, I would get up in the middle of the night and, you know, for, for, for good or bad, I would talk to the staff that was the overnight staff. And so I built, I built some really cool relationships with some of the adults that were, they were called adolescent specialists. Um, and they were the, not the licensed counselors, but the folks that, um, sort of oversaw us 
when we weren't in session. And I, I, you know, I had some wonderful chats. I've always been a bit of an adult, (laughs) even when I was little, I think I asked my mom one time, did I ever really seem like little, like a little kid? And she said, not really. No. So anyway, I would get up and chat and they would give me a fudge sickle. Yes. Sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they also gave me a meditation tape. And so I would turn that on and it was, gosh, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour um, that I used all the way through college when I couldn't sleep. And ultimately when I got out of treatment, um, I've mentioned this before, but if you're a new listener, the food came roaring back. I had, I had, um, my relationship with food was, was compulsive, um, from the age of about 10 and then alcohol and drugs sort of edged it out, um, in terms of substances. And then when I got clean and sober, whoosh, the food came back. So, you know, fast forward, I, I got married young and was not a great co-sleeper. Um, he snored and worked a different schedule and kind of flopped around in bed. And so, you know, I'm a sensitive sleeper kind of to begin with. And so I ended up not really sleeping in the bed and often falling asleep on the couch and waiting for him to, you know, wake up and leave so that I could go back to the bed. It, It was ultimately not, not great. And during that time, in terms of sleep, Um, it's, that's, that's some really disrupted sleep. There was dogs, you know, we had four dogs and they were up on the sofa and, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. The TV was off and on. And so, um, so yeah, not, not great sleep during that time. And I was also just going really hard on the food and because I wasn't drinking and using, I was actually working, I was running a treatment center at the time. And I would come home and just binge my brains out. Um, usually purge. And then the physical effects of that would sort of put me in what we refer to as a food coma. If you are familiar with overeating and overeating sugar and, and grains and stuff, they, they do have that sort of food coma effect on a person. And so um, then I, you know, fast forward again, I put the food down and I got into food recovery. And when I got into food recovery and the sugar and the grains were gone and there was no more binging and there was no more eating in between meals and there was none of that. It was three weighed and measured meals a day with nothing in between except coffee, tea, diet soda, which I have given up um, and sugar-free gum, which I also don't touch anymore because it's got um, sugar alcohols and some other ingredients in it that hurt my stomach and make it very difficult for me to stop once I start. So um, I eliminated those at some point during my recovery as they were not working for me. Um, But I then became aware early in that recovery that I was quite an anxious person. Uh, Dr. Maisel, who I spoke with back in January, would call it my indwelling style. Uh, I realized, wow, I have a very anxious indwelling style. And I went through a divorce um, also right after really, really soon after getting in recovery um, with my food. And I ended up seeing a psychiatrist and um, I had an an incident where I had angioedema where my face swelled up, the whole side of my face swelled up um, due to stress, extreme stress. And so at that time I started taking a benzo um, clonazepam, uh, clonopin, 
um, which I've been taking off and on since then. Uh, thankfully, I did not become addicted to it and I didn't abuse it. I know quite a bit about how dangerous benzos are. So I've been quite careful with them. But also I started taking antidepressants at that time. And so originally it was Prozac and then I gave up the Prozac because of the sexual side effects. But I sunk into that type of depression where you are not able to take get up and take a shower, um, where you have no interest in anything. Um, the things that used to bring you joy don't, that kind of thing. And, you know, I'm also not a stranger to episodic depression. So I kind of knew what was happening. And I saw a new psychiatrist. And at that time, I got on several medications. And those medications have been in my life um, since then. I, I got off briefly when I was trying to get pregnant. But but soon after trying to get pregnant, I got a cancer diagnosis. And I, I remember emailing uh, Dr. Simon was his name and saying, uh, yeah, um, clearly I, you know, I need to do this cancer treatment and I don't think it's the right time um, to try to stop these medications, which I was mainly stopping because I didn't want to be taking them if I got pregnant because there were some potential side effects to um, developing fetus if, if that were to happen. So I went back on and that's been, gosh, probably, I don't know, maybe 2009. So it's been a long time, 13, 14 years. And so I've been on uh, Remeron, Mirtazapine is the generic name, um, Buspar or Buspirone is the generic name of that. Trazodone, uh, very common for sleep disorders and um, depression and anxiety, kind of billed as an innocuous type of drug. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure about any of these really. And then in more recent years, I added uh, clonidine because I was having tremendous night sweats related to being in menopause, which I'm about 10 years into that 10 or 11 years actually into uh, being in menopause. And then you, you add the clonazepam once in a while when it got, you know, even more difficult. So we're talking about five medications, five pretty uh, strong medications that I'm taking at nighttime, every night for the last 13 years or so for anxiety and sleep. Well, I started to really question these diagnoses that either I had assigned to myself or were just assigned through going to seek pharmaceutical help. Frankly, I was going to seek pharmaceutical help for my problems, which is, uh, was a facet of my personality. I was more of a magic bullet, uh, searching for a switch to flip kind of person because I just wanted the pain to go away or the suffering to go away. And, you know, I've learned quite a lot about that, that reaching for something to mute the sensation of pain, whether that pain is physical or most particularly emotional, psychological, or spiritual um, is you sometimes is very necessary. And I'm in no way advocating for anybody to stop their medication um, without consulting with the person that prescribed it, nor am I in any way advocating that you not explore medication. If you are experiencing, um, a very difficult time because there, there have been times when it pulled me out of the depths truly. Um, and so 
again, I have no regrets and I've learned quite a lot and I'm a different person on the inside than I was when I originally sought them out. And after talking to Dr. Maisel in January and expressing, I did that on the show, actually, it's the show titled uh, Living Your Life Purpose Choices. He has some pretty strong feelings and and thoughts, and he's a retired psychiatrist. He um, he doesn't practice as a psychiatrist anymore because um, he's better to explain that, but he he doesn't advocate using chemicals to address normal human experience. And so I just expressed that, I don't know, really kind of off the cuff. And he gave me some information and a website to visit. And I did some uh, looking in terms of half-life and side effects and so forth. And so since then I started, I think mid-January weaning myself and I have weaned myself off of everything. So um, all those five drugs, five chemicals that I was taking to uh, address my anxiety and my sleeplessness are gone from my life. And the anxiety uh, has been interesting. So I've tried before. So here's the issue about the tunnel. I've tried this before and made it all the way to a day or two of no, no chemicals, no, no meds. And I made a U-turn because I got feedback that I wasn't myself or um, what's, you know, you don't seem like yourself. You seem like something's wrong or I would, I would get a little edge to me, frankly, I would just get an edge. Well, sorry. (laughs) I mean, you know, at that time I was a perfectionist and I didn't want to be anything other than exactly what everybody wanted me to be. So if I got, you know, feedback that I, I didn't seem like myself or that I had too much of an edge, I, instead of saying, well, yeah, I'm going through something and thank you for the feedback. And I, you know, I would appreciate some compassion and I'll do my best to not allow what's happening to me to splash on to everyone else. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm committed to this for my own self. I didn't, I didn't have that. I didn't have it within me to do that, but I certainly do now. So I, I, I experienced almost immediately a sharper mind uh, and a more creative mind. I kind of was, I was a little bit concerned, I guess, about, well, what is, what's going to happen to my thinking? What's going to happen to my creativity? What's going to happen to all of that? That was not so much an issue uh, for me. I was flooded. My body was flooded pretty routinely with an electric kind of anxiety that was very uncomfortable for me. One of the other things that Eric Maisel said in that conversation, um, because I talked to him about my morning doom, uh, my morning doom, which is associated with basically a lifetime of an anxious indwelling style. He kind of said, you know, don't pay too much attention to that. to that mood, you know, that's just a mood. It's not really anything. Just get on with your day, get on with your purpose, get on with your choices. And it was just, it was just wonderful for somebody to say, you know, you can kind of not pay too much attention to that. You cannot overreact to that. So as I was be, you know, being flooded with these really, what are for me, because I, I like a peaceful calmness. That's sort of, you know, what kind of plagues me a little bit is this desire for peaceful calmness. And, you know, human life is just not always peaceful and calm. And it takes a tremendous amount of practice to bring that peace and calm 
into your life. So I, I do all those practices, but I will admit, I still long for that to just happen. Um, and when it does, I, I soak it up and drink it in and say, thank you and know that it's, it's probably going to be somewhat short-lived and that I'm going to need to really practice, um, to bring those things into my life. So I didn't overreact and I didn't reach for anything. I didn't reach for something to make it go away. The one thing that continues to be in my life is a small amount of cannabis, which I use for a variety of um, physical um, challenges that I have um, and health issues. And it's uh, it does fall into the anesthesia behavior category. And I keep a very close eye on it to ensure that it is not harming me. And so um, I will say that, that, that in full, full transparency, um, there's still a, a bit of cannabis in my life um, that for me improves my life. Now, I'm not advocating for you to use cannabis if that's not for you. It just happens to be uh, for now at this point in my life, it does happen to be for me. And if at some point it's not for me, I will uh, go through this process again. I will go into the tunnel and go through the process of eliminating it. So after kind of leveling out, I would say in terms of the anxiety, the waves of anxiety that would come over me and be very uncomfortable. And that I would just breathe through and remind myself, don't react. It's okay. You're not going to die. Yes, this is uncomfortable, but it's okay. Just do your life, do your stuff, um, go to the next thing and don't forget your gratitude. Don't forget your gratitude. Oh boy. I'm telling you gratitude. And I'm talking about the kind where you keep your head where your feet are, right? I'm talking about the kind where like right now I look out at everybody hangs their laundry here. So, you know, I look out at my neighbor's laundry hanging and these old crumbly beige natural stone Malta buildings set against the bluest sky, the bluest sky I think I've ever seen. I am. I mean, every morning I look up and that blue sky, oh, it just fills me with gratitude. So I'm talking about, it can be the smallest thing, the smallest thing. The fact that, you know, when I was on my food program, there were no bananas on that list for reasons that don't, that I don't need to be concerned with, but now I can have a banana and my digestive issues, my bathroom issues, my bathroom emergencies have all but almost disappeared. Oh my God. Food as medicine, food as medicine, a banana, a banana a day, even a half a banana a day. And I will say, I don't want to get, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to my insomnia. But I, when I was at my mom's house, it was funny. She said, you know, I was talking to your brother and I said to him, I believe I saw your sister eating a banana the other morning. And I, I don't know that I've ever seen that. <laughs> and it was because I didn't really eat them before. And then when I was on my food program, they just weren't on the list of foods that were um, part of the program. So uh, anyway, um, there are many, many things to be grateful for, and they don't have to like last all day. So when I'm talking about my Lavazza coffee and my Turkish figs and my banana in the morning and my nuts, um, and my little bits of cheese and so forth, like that, that only needs to last for as long as it lasts for. And then 
I can move on to something else that um, I appreciate and am grateful for. So gratitude is wonderful. So after the anxiety um, sort of quelled, I still have an anxious indwelling style and I'm doing all the more natural kind of mind management things um, that I've talked about on the show and that are available in um, most particularly the book, Redesign Your Mind uh, by Eric Maisel, which has been tremendously helpful to me. But boy, did my insomnia come roaring back. I mean, I'm talking maybe three hours of night I'm getting um, broken up, not, not even together. I have difficulty going to sleep. I wake up. I can't go back to sleep. Not just my mind. It's not just my mind that races. My body, of course, is connected to my mind. And so my body races. And um, so I've started, you know, I'm, it's painful. So I don't want to say that I'm suffering because suffering would be, no, this is not happening. I can't have this. It's terrible. This has to stop. I can't take it anymore. I have to do something. I have to take something. I have to make it go away. That is for me where the suffering comes in, but it is quite painful to not be able to sleep and then to be navigating the end of a relationship, the logistics of going back to the U S and making plans for how to come back to Malta, where I, I want to come back. I love it here um, without a partner. You know, those are kind of big things. And then my work requires, you know, a certain amount of presence and introspection and thoughtfulness and joy. And I'm engaging with a new team that's helping me to grow my business and to um, lead me to the TEDx stage, which I'm, I'm excited about. I don't, I don't have one yet, but I'm going to have one and, um, and get to really, you know, spread an idea, an idea of self-acceptance to a, to a broader uh, range of people and group of people. So I have some really exciting things that I'm tackling with my professional development and they require a lot of me. And to do those things when I'm not sleeping is difficult and painful and it can be done. And it's also giving me a focus that is not how crappy my sleep is and how crappy I feel about my sleep. Because if I stew in that, if I stew in it, it really does become suffering. And I'm not, I'm not willing, I'm not willing to do that. So to that end, I am in the midst of CBTI, which I didn't even know what that was until I was reading a Reddit, a Reddit thread about insomnia. Um, and I actually saw a, a, an app pop up, uh, interestingly, and I clicked into it and I thought, Hmm, what is this? So I'm using that app and I'm going to use it for a little while before I tell you what it is and recommend it. But so far, um, it really is very well done. Um, and I'm in the sleep restriction phase, uh, which they tell you, um, the app is very supportive. Um, it gives you daily support and they tell you, you're going to want to quit. You're going to want to give up. You're going to want to quit. And so in a nutshell, you enter your sleep data for about a week and then they recalculate your bedtime because they want to train. We want to retrain yourself that when you hit the bed, you go to sleep quickly and that you don't associate the bed with wakefulness and anxiety and a racing mind and an uncomfortable body and the desire to sleep and the upsetness that you're not sleeping, all the things that come with insomnia. So 
Is it difficult to stay up until 1.30 a.m. and still get out of bed at 7 along with the wakefulness that I experience in between? Yes. <laughs> yes, it's difficult. And I am not going to give up. I am not going to make a U-turn. I am not going to abandon this effort. And, you know, the, the app is very encouraging in that regard. It says this will change your life. We know you want to give up. This is all science-based. Don't give up. So I am not giving up. And um, while I did not sleep very long last night, they do measure a couple things, sleep duration and sleep efficiency. My sleep efficiency is going up, meaning the amount of time that I'm in bed and sleeping um, is actually improving. So I will keep you posted and I will also share more about that app. I just, I want to kind of have a little bit more experience with it before I do that. And I want to thank you for listening. And I hope that you've heard something today um, that is helpful to you. You can find me at giraffetangooctopus.com and across social media at GTO Coaching. Um, Drop me a line. Love yourself, free yourself, be yourself, and dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.